Eric, are you into award shows? No. Me neither. Hot topic, I guess, huh? I, I saw that the Oscar nominations came out, and I was really shocked by some of the choices, namely to put, like, Joker in 11 categories. Come on, you guys. Joker's not that good. I feel like we were... We were too generous with how many heavy-handed think pieces we allowed people to write about that film thinking it wouldn't come back to haunt us, and now it's here. You know, like, wasn't half of that movie just tributes and nods to other movies? I guess if you're just a fan of cinema, going like, yeah, I like that angle. It reminds me of that other thing. Is it valid? Yeah, I. that's a great question. I think award shows are so weird because... Like, okay, for instance, the Grammys. I I feel like I keep up on music more than almost anyone else I know. And I know a lot about music. And still, every year when the Grammy nominees come out, I'm like, who the fuck is this? For like 80, 85% of the nominees. I don't think that means that they're bad or anything like that. I just think it means like uh, the culture of like nominating and like celebrating these artists is is essentially meaningless. Like we always talk about how there is no more monoculture. So why do we celebrate these things? Like... It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Maybe that's what makes me bristle. When there is no more monoculture, we have so much more to choose from. And so the implication that there is a mainstream is getting more and more uncomfortable to me. Um, you bring up the Grammys, and they'll give a Best New Artist award to someone who's been making music for 10, 15 years. Right, exactly, because it's new in the context of the voters, but not of, like, the real world. Yeah. <laughs> Adele, didn't Adele get Best New Artist for, like, her second? album yeah kind of like um well well lizzo's hits that were on the radio this year were years old yeah yeah no my friend claire uh, who did the logo for a podcast told me about lizzo three or four years ago she was really on the ball here well i guess that's why it's frustrating <laughs> i don't want to like get political too quickly but it reminds me of the conversation we were having about colonization and like once white people discover it then it's real. Yeah. And it's kind of like that with art. I mean, like, white people are probably most of the Grammy voters, let's be real. Although and it is. The, the Academy. Yeah. It is truly impressive that Lizzo could get so many number one hits from songs that came out years ago. Like, that's some kind of like Beatles esque feat. So good for her. Now that we've successfully trashed awards shows, let's congratulate our friends who were recently nominated for an awards right, show. Right. Well, that's why we're talking about this, right? Is because as we record this, the Critics' Choice Awards were last night. And as we mentioned, uh, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power had been nominated for uh, Best Animated Series along with Big Mouth, Dark Crystal, The Simpsons, and Undone. Um, we talked a lot of crap about The Simpsons being on that list. They did not win, right? No. So the winner was the one I didn't say who got nominated, BoJack Horseman, which I'm sure is a good show. It's not really my cup of tea. But, man, I was really pulling for She-Ra or failing that big mouth. But it's funny. If you look at this, four-sixths of the, of the nominees are Netflix shows. And then there's one Fox and one Amazon. Yeah, it is uh, becoming a monopoly out there, I guess. I was really pulling for She-Ra or Dark Crystal because I appreciate when we go back to sort of vintage styles of media. Like, let's get those actual puppets out here instead of that CGI. I think what Lauren and I are saying is that in our hearts, She-Ra is the best animated series. And we're old and we like old things. <laughs> yeah, we're old. <laughs> Hello. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome to She-Ra Progressive of Power. My name is Lauren. My name is not Lauren. No, it isn't. It isn't. What is it then? Eric. Okay. I was wondering if you were going to do a bit, but you were just holding out on me. That's fine. It was half of a bit. Just like uh, half of this pop chart I have left in front of me as I once again try to not accidentally do like a mukbang thing you for need our to, listeners. You need to be drinking Kool-Aid too because that's what people think of you now. It's funny. I listened to that episode we put out last week, the retro one, and it the show was – our rapport just was not to where it is now. Well, I say it's rapport. You probably think it's me driving you crazy with stupidity. Right. I mean it's both. <laughs> Por que no los dos. I just wish – I, I just – I think that at that time I was less – sure that I could say really stupid things to you and then it would be compelling listening but we've gotten enough r- feedback from our listeners that I you know I think I think it is uh, that's true and I I said this on social media and I'm going to say it on the mic I have and had a very different definition of the slang term unicorn when it comes to dating wait we need to put context around this so in last week's rerun episode uh, we talked about the episode of the Unicorn King, and I mentioned that unicorns are something to do with dating. I think I thought it was like uh, like a one-of-a-kind, like you'll never find anyone better than me. I'm your unicorn, and yeah. Lauren, Lauren takes umbrage with that. Well, it's only like a third of the definition, and I had a different one in my mind, and at the time we didn't have the rapport where I felt comfortable correcting you on it, so I just left it go. But now when I listen to that... I'm shocked. Like, I can't believe I didn't just dig right into my friend Eric over this over this shit. Well, are you going to correct us or what? Well, I guess this is this is a, you know, not a PG rated podcast, I suppose. So my understanding of the word unicorn is a single woman who is interested in uh, multi genders, uh, stereotypically men and women, and is looking for couples. And so couples who are out there on the dating scene looking for a third, they're they're sometimes looking for a unicorn who is like a single attractive woman who would be equally interested in both of them. Uh, However, it can be used in like a like a, a derogatory manner at this point, like if you are bisexual, you can say like, oh, I'm so sick of these unicorn hunters who only want me for one thing, which, you know, some of us have experience with (laughs) now. We also saw horde troopers be unicorn hunters. So are they are they looking for polyamory? It's not stuff? even necessarily polyamory is the thing. It could just be for like fooling around. This is why I didn't want to talk about it. I'm like turning red. This is a dating podcast now. The episode we're talking about today is Fractures. And I mean, not a huge plot episode, but definitely a great tension building episode. I think Fractures refers to the idea that everyone's getting really uh, high pressure, high intensity. Loyalties are being questioned. We don't know who's the bad guy. And everything's sort of about to boil over. And some people are really about to crack. And I think it's pretty obvious in this episode who that is. Yeah, this is one of those episodes where it's almost like catching us up to what's going on in the story. And it explores one theme across like all the different threads. Because, yeah, like Lauren said, everything's kind of reaching a boiling point. And so we kind of check in on every story we have in progress and seeing how the titular fractures develop. Yeah, so I'm sure you have, like, the briefest of summaries because it's more emotional than anything. I do. I have a great summary from Wikipedia. It says, 
The Princess Alliance is split on whether to use the magic at the heart of Etheria or try to destroy it. Scorpia arrives to Bright Moon with a request for help to save Entrapta. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I think you could get a little bit more specific right at the beginning about, like, which chess pieces are where. I found it very interesting that we're still holding Double Trouble captive. But I guess what else would we do with them? I kind of forgot about Double Trouble just because Hero is such a... That episode has so much gravity, as did Boys Night Out. It kind of, like, shocked me to get back to the espionage plot. Right, right. I don't know what I expected to happen, but I had forgotten about them, too, which is wild because they're a pretty unforgettable uh, character in terms of attitude. Yeah, and Double Trouble had great moments in this episode, like the truth spell bit, where they uh, they act like they're under Glimmer's spell and then uh, just does it to troll Glimmer. Oh, yeah, and they make fun of Adora's hair poof. Yes. No, like, like listening to the show in sort of a meta way, knowing that someone actually had to draw that and probably loved doing it is very charming. Yeah, absolutely. Double Trouble is kind of one of the smaller plot elements. The The big question, like Wikipedia helpfully told us, is that all the rebels are curious about what to do with the weapon at the heart of Etheria. And camps are really split between, like, Glimmer, who wants to use the power to vanquish the Horde, and Adora, who's like, now nah, we can't do this. Because remember, Adora and Bo last episode um, saw Mara's, like, record of what the Heart of Etheria can do. And now they're, like, pretty damn scared of it. Yeah, this episode is very much Adora and Bo versus Glimmer and Shadow Weaver, of all people. And as usual... It's hard to tell if Shadow Weaver actually wants to help Glimmer, wants to help the Rebellion, or just sees an opportunity to seize power. It's probably the latter, because it almost always is. But uh, you mentioning the Mara thing really gives me... uh, It really makes me put more responsibility on Adora and Bo. They snap at Glimmer in this episode. They say, you're wrong because you weren't there But it's kind of on them some to accurately communicate the severity of the issue. It's pretty wild that it hasn't gotten across to Glimmer that Light Hope is bad and we can't trust or use Light Hope. If Glimmer had her way, we'd be going to Light Hope and like interrogating Light Hope and receiving information. But if it were up to Bo and Adora, they would uh, avoid Light Hope at all costs. Yeah, it's also interesting to track kind of the tension level between Glimmer and Adora because if you remember in Mer Mysteries, that's kind of played up as um, almost like we think that it's real, but it ends up being the element by which they trick Double Trouble into like revealing themselves. And you think, oh, maybe, maybe by working through it in this like performative way, they can get rid of it. But then in Boys Night Out, there's there's some more hints of like, well, maybe things aren't too good. And then in this episode, it's like, for real, real, like Glimmer and Adora are super split. And in fact, well, I don't want to spoil things, but the end of the episode seems to suggest that they will remain split for a, at least a little bit here. Right. And that is the role that Double Trouble ends up playing. Uh, even though they are captured, they're still pulling the like, wow, Adora's really taking charge. I thought you were the queen. Uh, to the point where later on, Everyone except Glimmer sort of makes a plan around her, 
And Glimmer vetoes it by playing the queen card and saying, I'm the queen. You don't get to leave. You don't get to go save Entrapta. Yeah, that was real serious. Uh, the Almost the underpinning of this, uh, the debate regarding the weapon, it it's kind of what uh, what we talked about with Ben a couple weeks ago is like, who are the bad guys, right? Because like uh, Glimmer is convinced that the Horde are the ultimate enemy, which makes sense because they killed her mom. Meanwhile, Adora is putting a pretty good argument in place that the Horde are, are just people, whereas Light Hope is this like otherworldly evil AI that has like wicked designs on the planet. Right. It's the macro problem versus the micro problem as far as Adora is concerned. The Horde will not be there, nor will anybody, in her opinion, if Light Hope gets to fire the weapon. And so why focus on the Horde if this other thing is going to wipe out everybody? They also, uh, Glimmer and company, turn on Entrapta some. Glimmer says that Entrapta betrayed them, which I think is pretty wild. I didn't realize that anyone on the Princess Alliance was actually of that opinion. Right. So, yeah, when uh, when Scorpia comes to Bright Moon to get the princess's help, I think definitely Adora and Bo, they see a chance to help their friend and assuage some guilt, but also see a chance to, like, divert the conversation away from this weapon issue, which Glimmer is having none of. But it's it. And, and that makes me wonder whether Glimmer truly thinks Entrapped is a traitor or if that is just her excuse for getting back to the weapon issue. Uh, that's fair. Scorpia also plays into our sort of who's the bad guy narrative. Yeah. She doesn't know who the bad guy is in her own life. She's saying, I thought I was being a bad friend, but Catra was a bad friend. And can you help me? And then everyone seeing basically a what to some people I guess would be a horrifying scorpion pincer monster doesn't know if they should trust her, if this is a horde spy or this is a trick. Thankfully, Scorpia, I think, comes across as, like, incredibly genuine. Yeah, there's so many good Scorpia moments. Like, when she's just kind of chilling at the princess table while they're debating, that's very sweet. Um, the uh, Even their battle, like, when Perfuma, after getting accidentally stung by Scorpia, uh, puts, like, a flower on her tail, and then... Um, Frosta, like, asks Scorpia about her pincers because she thinks that they're awesome and wants to replicate them herself out of ice. And then when Scorpia seems to, like, be surprised by that, Frosta feels bad because she thinks that Scorpia doesn't want her to hone in on her thing. But in fact, Scorpia just doesn't... She's never thought of herself as, like, having a cool thing before. Yeah, that was probably my favorite scene was... (laughs) Frosta immediately feeling guilty and going, oh, I didn't mean to steal your thing. Is that why you're upset? I'm so sorry. And we also see Scorpia learning what a vegetable is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a very clear message about eating your vegetables here. I also really like, though, that Frosta is still fixated on Princess Prom because, of course, she is because that was her main thing about why she didn't want Scorpia there, which is that Scorpia ruined the Princess Prom. Oh, I'm not even sure I locked onto that. Yeah, that was when they were having their group scene about, like, how dare she come here? Frosta's was about the prom. so Yeah, that was kind of Frosta's coming out party almost. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we also see, so we see what Scorpia's presence does to the rebels. 
and how it fractures uh, hey. them. But we also see how its absence uh, fucks Catra up pretty good. Because Catra is quite gone in this episode. I think this is as unhinged as she's been since the portal. Yeah, the animation and some of the voice acting in this one very much remind me of um, Azula from Avatar The Last Airbender. But this is happening to her, I think, earlier in the show than it happened to Azula. It, she starts out doing this. <laughs> I see, I've seen it memed as like a Five Nights at Freddy's thing. She's jumping back and forth between the TVs. And I think she's like actively looking for Scorpia, or at least subconsciously is, because the second she notices a tree that looks a little bit like Scorpia, she's zooming in and, and obsessing and freaking out. And we just, yeah, you're right. Catra is all over the place. Uh, she's a real jerk to our our trio of, of Kyle and Lonnie and Rahelio as well. And did you notice when she does that and she sends them off, Kyle and Rahelio walk away holding hands? Oh, I didn't. That's very sweet. Yeah. Yeah, that scene is really telling where, uh, like, those three are clearly exhausted and, and Kyle and Rahelio are kind of sharing a, a laugh among friends and... Catra just loses it on Lonnie and, and is like, are they laughing at me? Like, uh, just kind of assuming everyone is against her at this point. And I think Lonnie, to her credit, is a very good leader and seems to handle things with, like, reason and empathy. Just saying, like, hey, can we cool off for a second? My people just need to rest a little. And Catra doesn't want to hear any of it. Yeah, there are two points in there that I want to make known. One... Lonnie ends up being right. We saw Lonnie in an earlier episode basically saying, Catra hates us. The Horde's not going to rescue us. We don't have anybody but each other. And she's totally proven right in this moment. Her exhausted squad gets sent back out, and they just go literally carrying each other back out the door. There's no one else. Uh, But also, Catra has that really tough line, leave just like everybody else, which is very, um, you know sort of edgelord and sort of cringy, but it's also completely honest in her part. Catra is taking everything that happens around her that has nothing to do with her personal life and is making it about her personal life. Just people leaving the room after she yells at them is the same as Scorpia and it's the same as Adora. I can say from pretty personal experience that when you're in a really dark place like that, it's easy for all of your problems to bleed into one another. Um... Catra's awful in this episode, but you really, really, really feel bad for her, too. I think Catra's also, you could extrapolate starting to reel from Double Trouble's absence. Uh, There's been kind of smaller hints throughout the season that maybe Catra really thinks of them as, as a friend and partner. And I think that their absence is also weighing on her. I agree. There's a great, great shot in this episode, speaking of, like, you feeling for Catra, where she cries down onto the camera, like, into into the shot. It's really, really beautiful. But, yeah, Edgelord is right. This is, this is a tough breaking point for Catra. And it's even tougher because, in theory, this should be everything she wants. Yeah, I was wondering how much of that is present in this episode or in the dialogue. Like, Catra finally realizing that the thing she said she wanted all along isn't good enough. And maybe realizing what she had to give up to get it, she insists out loud, we're finally winning. But you can tell it's not helping. Right. Absolutely. I've taken the last of the coastal towns. What is the status of the woods? Our raiding parties have crushed the villages near our current outpost. Tomorrow, we move farther inland. Everything 
is under control. Excellent. Etheria will be ours yet. <laughs> Speaking of Catra, there was an animation moment that I really appreciated when Scorpia is back at Bright Moon and mentions Catra and sort of Catra being in a bad way. The camera, well, animation camera, focuses on Adora and you get to see Adora sort of wince and you know that she's still thinking about Catra. Catra's still very much in her heart. Oh, we should talk about the article. Oh, yeah. Heavens, we have been away for a while. Yeah, well, I think this would have, this was even after we would have recorded last weekend. Because uh, this was like last Friday or something. Yeah, so it's important to bring up, I guess, because we are connected to the Shira fandom community. I don't want to give this guy any more clicks. So if you wanted to go Google it, you can. But, uh,. Some guy whose name we will not justify by saying on some website wrote a a real just wrong, I'm just going to say it, a wrong piece of not journalism claiming that She-Ra is queer baiting. And I don't know if I need to define that for anybody, but just in case, queer baiting is the idea that a piece of media or a story or an author, just whomever, hints or sort of leaves breadcrumbs metaphorically out, saying there's going to be LGBTQ representation in this story. We're going to have lesbians in this one. There's going to be a gay story in this one. One of our main characters is going to be, uh, you know, non-gender conforming, like whatever. But then actually they pull the rug out and they don't do it. And I just think this writer was maybe really hurt about their feelings about Voltron. Yeah, the whole premise of the article is that the ship that they wanted to see in Voltron didn't happen. And, like, I can't speak to Voltron because I only watched the first season, but that feels like this person has a huge chip on their shoulder and just really wanted to take it out on She-Ra because none of the things they said about She-Ra made any sense. Like, oh, this promotional still hints at uh, attraction between Adora and Catra. But in the episode, we see that Huntara has replaced Catra. It's like, well, guess what? I still think there's attraction there. Yeah. And I mean, that's missing the point for me still. So there are a lot of people who complain about She-Ra who I don't think understand either basic storytelling or basic marketing. Like basic storytelling, for example, we can't tell you at the beginning what's going to happen at the end. So there's all this weird cherry-picked, like, nothings from interviews with our friends at DreamWorks that this person is using as proof to say there's not going to be an Adora Catra story, there's not going to be any, you know, major between-two-main-characters story. But it's all just evidence of the creators not wanting to tell you how it ends. When you're telling a story, you don't tell the ending from the get-go. That's not how it works. I guess I'm curious as to whether... um I know this person thinks so, but is Adora Catra really baited? Like, if you look at just the text of the show, I think it could go either way. And I bring this up now because you said Adora has that look. Like, I definitely 100% think Adora is uh, is a lesbian or bisexual. 
But I think Adora Catra is a coin flip. Well, yeah. So to speak really quickly before we get too far off of it, the picture of Shira and Huntara being switched out for Shira and Catra. Basic marketing. Catra's a more recognizable character. Right. Nobody really knew who Huntara was yet. She hadn't premiered on the show or had, you know, maybe been in one episode, depending on when you're browsing Netflix. You're going to want to just see the more popular character. I don't think it's I don't think it's malice at all. But to your point, maybe I'm being too generous. But even if Adora and Catra don't end up together at the end of this, I wouldn't call it baiting because I feel like the romantic relationship and I'm going to call it romantic. I think it has pretty solid romantic overtones has been written in like. I think it's in the show, you know, that if maybe they won't end up together in the end, but they do have romantic feelings for one another full stop. Like, I didn't think that was in question. I don't ship it. I do think that is where the show is going. But even if it didn't, I think it's just cruel and unusual to say that this show is trying to trick people into it. It's a complex and well-written relationship and it's a difficult and scary relationship and it's not going to be so easy as and then they kissed and everything was okay yeah but i mean for the record i i also think it's where the show is going i guess i'm just saying like if it ended up that adora and catra don't get together and that it all is just like this deep friendship because they grew up together i i would buy that textually like to me that doesn't That's not, I mean, I'm not a queer man, but that doesn't feel like baiting because look at all of the other representation in the show. It's not like there's, it's not like, uh, Rise of Skywalker were, um, Rise of Skywalker was recently hit for queer baiting because teasing Finn Poe for two movies, instead we get a lesbian kiss for like half a second at the end of the film. Yeah. And we like invent girlfriends for both of those characters to show how (laughs) not gay they are. That's baiting for, in a lot of ways. And I think we said this maybe once before, I'm not sure, but with Rise of Skywalker, that kiss that happens in the background has literally been edited out of certain international versions of Star Wars. You can't edit out the LGBTQ representation in She-Ra. Right. Even if you cut out certain scenes from Adora and Catra, there are so many characters who are secondary characters that are in homosexual relationships. There's things drawn in the background. There's dialogue. There's just really kind of sometimes sexy eye contact between characters. Again, Adora Huntara, absolutely a thing. It's just everywhere. And I, I resent the idea that someone would put this show on the same pedestal as that horrid Star Wars trap. I mean, the only adult relationship we see is is a lesbian relationship you know is a queer relationship and we the only other confirmed relationship we see at all is is Mermista Seahawk which is not even a solid relationship like it's almost a will they won't they yeah I mean I'm to the point where (laughs) we're saying like relationship and on board it's so many pirate words (laughs) um I, I think they're I think they're canon I think you can call them canon and also, Bo has two dads, and Scorpia has oh, yeah. two moms. And again, yeah. they're all background characters. You really want your mains to also show representation and diversity. But I'm just hammering down the point that like you can't take queerness out of this right. show because it's baked in everywhere. Right. 
It, never mind that the the staff of creators is wonderfully diverse. And they literally said that the rainbow was the gay agenda on our podcast. I mean, yeah, that's maybe that's the true. number one offense of this publication. Is that the author didn't listen to our show? Yes, I agree. Oh, I was going to say that the author <laughs> names people we've had on our show who we know full well <laughs> had clear intent for their characters and in some cases are queer themselves. And it's just it's they deserve an apology, I guess, when it comes to the the you know personal individual people being framed that way. That's bogus. I'm just floored that someone would get so mad that their ship didn't come true that they would try to torpedo a whole animation studio. Or at least wait till the end. Well, but like the, the Star Wars thing is fascinating because have you seen the stuff with John Boyega and the Raylo shippers? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I I I don't know. I love I love all of you who are listening. I'll say that. But people who base, like, a significant part of their identity on ships, I, I guess I don't get it. I'm old. Uh, so John Boyega, like, brought fandom to tears when he made a joke on Instagram that maybe he was going to hook up with Ray instead of ghost Kylo Ren. And, like, people attacked him for saying that. He also, another part of that controversy, my best friend is super into Star Wars, so I've heard a lot about it. He, like, retweeted or shared on Insta bullying, attacking comments that were made to him, which resulted in those individuals then experiencing some harassment. And so then people turned on John Boyega, like, how could you cast a spotlight on these people? Which to me is wild because they made, like, bullying attacks on a public forum with their names on them. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. he caught flack for just, like, pointing at it. I don't think anyone in Hollywood, for any reason, deserves to basically be told you have to be a punching bag as much as we want you to, yeah. and then you can't do anything. You know, I actually kind of liked Rise of Skywalker, but I, I think Star Wars, or John Boyega is too good for Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, well, and so many people are like, I hope he never works again. I mean, for one, he has plenty of work, but also, if he, like, with all the racist attacks that he has gone through and Kelly Marie Tran has experienced and the actor who played Jar Jar Binks well before them, whose name escapes me right now. I'm my best. Yes. What a great guy who I saw at Star Wars Celebration. If they just all quit acting and just lived on their Star Wars money for the rest of their lives because they didn't think they owed us anything more, like that would be totally valid too. It's funny that you left out the names of certain other people who have also talked shit about Star Wars, like Alec Guinness. I wonder why fans don't hate Alec Guinness or Harrison Ford. Is there something Alec Guinness and Harrison Ford have in common that John Boyega, Kelly Marie Tran, and Ahmed Best don't? I don't. I I can't think of anything. No, I can't either. Weird. Sounds about white. In the white room with black curtains in the station. I don't have much else to say about fractures, Lauren. I mean, the episode cultural fractures. Sure. What else do you got? Well, we do learn a little bit more about Beast Island. We learn, well, we knew it was real already, but our characters didn't. Oh yeah, that's a very goofy scene when. They're talking about how bad it is, and uh, Adora's like, 
are these stories all true? And then Shadow Weaver says, oh, it's much worse than that. Those are just things we told you as a child so we wouldn't scare you. Yeah, like those are the moderately spooky stories. Spooky mild. But I noticed when they were flying the ship in that kind of long ship action sequence of just crashing and bashing around that Beast Island is referred to as a hazardous materials disposal site. Yeah, I noticed that too. You think that's going to pay off? Uh, Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> and it would be for the first ones, right? So what did the first ones have to dispose? The wild thing is I didn't hear that the first watch through of this show. And so honestly, as much as everybody else, I'm like, I need to relearn what that means. And I've seen this season. <laughs> the only other thing I'd like to say about this episode is that as much as we talked about the fractures between like Adora Glimmer and like Catra and the Horde and Scorpia and the princesses and whatever, to me like the most stark, like shocking fracture is between Glimmer and Bo. Like for the first time ever, we see Bo kind of lose his cool at his best friend and he just yells at her like, because you're wrong, which is, damn, Bo. Yeah, it's really sad to see what I think is the first, like, solid friendship we're exposed to as viewers go through such a hard time. Adora and Bo kind of justify it by saying the ends are going to justify the means, you know, like, well, at least Glimmer will be here to be mad at us. But it's rough. Like, I can picture myself on both sides of that. I think it was Shane who was talking about how much hate Glimmer gets, but Glimmer's often right. She also said, if you hate Glimmer, you are the Glimmer. That's fair. Is that true of Swiftwind? If you hate Swiftwind, are you the Swiftwind? I don't know how that could Lauren, be. Lauren, you're the Swiftwind. Am I the Swiftwind? I don't think so. I don't think you're the Swiftwind. You're definitely Queen Angela. Queen Angela, like if I had to pick a princess, it's probably Mermista. Oh yeah, you're definitely Mermista. <laughs> who am I? Who are you? You're not the Swiftwind. No. No, I mean, you've gotten Bo on so many of the personality quizzes, and so I'm kind of stuck there. I'm Bo. I think you're probably Bo. I'm Bo. If I had to pick a princess, hold on. Mm. Frosta? <laughs> mm, I'd rather be Bo. <laughs> okay, Princess Bo, it is. I've never lied to Glimmer before. I mean, it's not lying, lying. I left a note. Three, actually, but still. We're doing the right thing. We can't let what happened in Mara's time ever happen again. And Glimmer's gonna be angry at us, but at least she'll be around to be angry. Do you think I should leave another note? Oh, Bo. We're kind of sneaking out here. Do you think you could keep it down a little? Sorry. I want to give a shout out to a couple of the letters we received this week. Uh, we got a letter from B, who is uh, listening from Australia. And B was kind enough to recommend some Australian perspective podcasts to us when we said we wanted to hear more about what was going on in other nations. Uh, and I do hope that everything uh, is going okay for them with all the fires down in Australia. I know, like, the entire place isn't unsafe, but the news will sure make you think that it is. Uh this, this note came to us around Christmas, so they gave us some Australian Christmas songs, Eric, including White Wine in the Sun by Tim Minchin, which is one I already knew about. It's on my Spotify Christmas playlist already. Uh, <laughs> I had the same question as Ben about whether Raz actually made that pie with thousand-year-old sugar. Yes, I do think so. Uh, she also notes that she has a sister 
who is 19 years old. And so when we were talking about uh, teenagers being on the show, uh, they included a little bit about the uh, very progressive nature of their sister and how, uh, quote, I've always considered myself very progressive, but now she is way more so which is a bit strange, but obviously excellent. I like to think that all those years of me lecturing her on sexism in music lyrics, et cetera, et cetera, helped me lead her down this path. Oh, uh, yeah, me. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I actually think the next generation is probably significantly more progressive than we are, which is why I'm hoping to still get someone on our show. Uh, we had a tweet from Rosa Control, who uh, just says that she loves our take on Mara, uh, and how Mara became sort of whitewashed with the blonde hair and the blue eyes. And that was in B's letter as well. And someone else wrote about that to us as well, I think. Are you talking about Agatha? Yeah. Yes. Our, our good friend. We received yet another long letter from our friend Agatha, who similarly uh, was giving us some recommendations for Brazilian podcasts, which we really appreciate. Uh Agatha says that Hero was my favorite episode of the season. It was so intense and sensitive. I still have tears in my eyes when I think about it. Uh, There's more information in this email about the first ones being colonizers. Uh, A friend of Agatha's wrote a text in Portuguese that we were linked to to show the different points of view of the colonizer and the colonized. I Mm. have not read it yet because... I don't know how how good like Google Translate is for Portuguese, but hopefully pretty good. Uh, and then, yeah, 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 more about Mara. There's a discussion in the fandom about this on Twitter. Some claimed it was a DreamWorks demand that Shira had to be blonde in reference to the 80s. Um, but I don't know if it's true. Maybe you could confirm with your DreamWorks friends. You know, we haven't actually asked anyone that. I'm not sure if it's up for asking, but we can try. Hmm. It's an interesting point, and... Uh I guess I, it hadn't registered with me how, like, hurt some people would be by that. And I uh, that's just, like, a blind spot for me. But I appreciate everyone writing in to express their own feelings. Yeah, Agatha did include a fan art. And it's, it's like, barely fan art. It's really just a recolorization of the animation that's there. And in passing the phone over to Eric of Amara with her hair and eyes kept dark. And it's just... Not that jarring. Like, I think she looks beautiful, and I think it looks fine, and it wouldn't have changed the story at all to keep her, you know, more obviously POC. Oh, well. Uh, Before we go, Agatha did, in fact, confirm for us that, you know, our, our political sort of coverage is a really nice window for our international listeners into what's going on in the United States. And given the theme of fractures being sort of who are the bad guys, what tactics should we take to stop the bad guys, I think we'd be remiss to not mention uh, Iran. Since the last time we were together, uh, the United States uh, forces assassinated uh, General Soleimani and made a second attempt on another Iranian uh, general in Yemen. Soleimani was in Iraq. And there was a couple days in there to, you know, speak to our younger listeners where it seemed like there was going to be another war. Uh, TikTok was just ablaze with sort of World War III memes, like grim comedy videos about about the war. Um, And it's funny, but it's sad. It's so sad, like watching these kids get raised in a world of climate change 
and income inequality, and then we go and do this too. Gosh, uh, the mo- the most fishy thing about it. I don't know how the media is covering it for our listeners elsewhere, if at all. But here in America, first it was sort of blamed on Soleimani's past grievances and past actions. And then we were getting word that an attack on United States citizens uh, and embassies was imminent. There were some interviews with Pompeo and Esper, our Secretary of State and our Secretary of Defense, confirming that we didn't really know a time or a place that an attack might happen. And then the president said it was four embassies. And then literally today, when we're recording, which is Monday, Donald Trump tweeted again that it doesn't really matter if there was an imminent attack because that was a bad guy. And I just, I can't, I can't get behind the lack of clear information given to American people. I I really can't get behind an assassination that can start a war if people weren't for sure in danger. And now we're hearing that that plane that went down was shot down by Iranian rockets, like a civilian plane with over 100 people on it. Uh, None of them Americans, but lots of Canadians. Was an Iranian Iranian military mistake. And I, I almost wonder... If that plane accidentally going down ends up being what prevents us from having a war, just everyone sort of going, whoops, too, it got too hot. We did too much. Let's just all cool back down. And so <laughs> that's what's going on over here. Uh, it's kind of depressing to talk about, um, but that's the update. And it, it really makes me think, as someone living in this country, who the bad guy is. I don't like wondering if my people are the bad guys when it comes to these stories. I don't know how much wondering you have to do. Uh, In brighter news, I was telling Lauren before the recording, Medical Police on Netflix, very, very good. Uh, Heartily endorsed by me if you want to laugh for a while and not think about, you know, all of this. Yeah, if you want to use your media for one of its... Uh, fine and valid purposes, which is escapism. You go ahead and you get it. You get it. Get it. (laughs) Get it. Uh, Before we go, let's circle back to a couple of our previous guests. Um, I want to give a shout out to Quinn, the creator of the For the Honor RPG. I know that since the last season came out, some updates were made, some things were added. And Faye, our fan art guest, is still working on that uh, tarot deck Man, have you gotten a look at the Huntara, the devil card that just got finished? No, that sounds cool. So good, so dope. I love watching um, Faye and our other fans just getting more and more artistically skilled with everything they create. It's like with each piece, you can see the improvement. I'm just watching you all grow and get more and more talented. It just warms my heart. Our guests are cool. Great job, everyone. (laughs) And remember, if there are any, um, what what was the phrase I used? There's like a specific phrase I used for like a group of guests we were looking for. Oh, hot, hot teens? teens in our area. Oh god! If there's any hot teens in our area, we'd still like to hear from you. It's not creepy. <laughs> it's not creepy, Lauren. It's not creepy. Sure, it's not. I mean, valid. If you uh, have a 
teenager in your family, you are a teenager yourself, you're a fan who wants to get on our show when you're in that age demographic, uh, we would love to talk to you. And as you've noticed from some of our previous guests, we can do Skype. So you don't even have to necessarily be in the United States. So when I say in our area, that's um, the internet. That's being um, facetious because, yeah, you can be anywhere. And when I say hot teens, I'm being facetious because we're all hot. Right, Lauren? We are. And we just hope you have some hot takes. Hot takes in our area. Hot takes in our <laughs> Coming area. Coming to your ear hole soon. Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. I'm pulling up a letter. Hold on. We got a couple. You know what my favorite letter we've ever gotten is? What? M. Please continue down that road. Let me know what what more of that bit you possibly could have had. (laughs) It's not a bit. It's a (laughs) one-liner. But I don't even understand. (laughs) My favorite letter that we've ever gotten. M is my favorite letter. Okay. M. It's a, it's a letter. I know that it's a letter. <laughs> so why did you pick M? I, I don't know. It's a letter. <laughs> okay. Because I thought because what you expect is that I give you an earnest answer, and then what I name is a letter. I just want it to be more than like a letter we received. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that someone has written the letter M in something they've sent to us. Probably. <clears throat> Jokes are best when you explain them. <laughs> You're the swift wind. I'm the Angela. <laughs> I need the joke explained to me.